cool. Are we rolling? More real. Super. Bella, we're rolling. How oh do you feel? God. I feel real. I feel more real now. Do you feel alive? Uh, yes, I think so, but I've not experienced the alternative. So, I yeah, I think so. So you're suggesting that this <laughs> makes you feel definitely not dead, but well, you only say that because don't you don't know what dead is. I don't know what dead feels like. Okay, so yeah. this is a podcast that makes potentially people feel like they're dead inside. <laughs> Let's hope not. Um, well, hopefully not this episode anyway. You can do what you like with the rest of it. Thank you, Doki. Oh, Doki. Let's start talking. Have you, have, you, have you finished with your tea there, Bella? No, I'm going to keep sipping. Okay. Are we allowed to sip? I think you're allowed to sip, I yeah. I mean, I think tea is an important part of all podcasts. Okay, give us not? a good sip and then we'll start. Like you slurp. Yeah. <coughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> In the depth of the forest, an old oak the pride of the greenwood there. O'er his branches the ivy her mantle threw When the forest boughs were bare Oh, the oak and the ivy Oh, the oak and the ivy Hello, I'm David Oakes and welcome to Trees A Crowd. This is a podcast for those of you who, like me, think our natural world is incredible. Whether casting flies upon a lake or using sawdust to stuff a snake... I'm going to get to talk with people dedicated to or inspired by our natural world. I'm sitting here at the tail end of February, just as the weather has turned unseasonably warm, joined in our recording studio by the effervescent Bella Hardy, famous for a fine folk fiddle and composing (laughs) our very own Trees A Crowd theme tune. The highlight of my career so far. It's the highlight of our podcast so far. Oh, don't say that. There's been other people on it. Uh, Quick, retract. We don't know when we're releasing this one. This was the first interview we did. Therefore... Therefore, it's the best so far. I think I got away with that. I think you did. (laughs) Raised in the heart of the Peak District, Bella began playing the fiddle at an age before recollection. (laughs) Following her debut solo album Night Visiting in 2007, Bella was nominated for the Horizon Award at the BBC Folk Awards, going on to be named Folk Singer of the Year in 2014. Mm. Bella, hello and welcome to Trees A Crowd. This is your life. This is your life. That was. Hopefully there'll be much more of it after today. (laughs) I'm hoping so too, but you never can tell, so you must make the most of it. (laughs) I hope that I'm not going to be like the part of your downfall. Well, I mean, if it was, then you would make a killing off this podcast, so it would probably work out all right. A literal killing. No. This is this has already gone quite (laughs) quite dark, dark, absurd. Back into the tree light. Okay, natural history, natural history. What's your favourite animal? Uh, oh, bats. Really? (gasps) I love bats. Wow. Isn't that strange? Why do you go for bats? I love bats because they're. Flappy. <laughs> because they're flappy. You write songs for a living. You're supposed to be eloquent. You know that when you're writing a song, you sit for days. Like, you can write it really fast, but I mean, it sometimes just gets that's fine and it goes out there, but usually. That's quite a lot of meditative time, even to get to that point. There was a you bat know. called Bella who made me really happy. Yeah. She flew around at night time. Yeah. Look at her. I remember going all I remember flappy. a song. There we go. Song like that. I remember a song from primary school about bats. We're bats, we're bats, we're absolutely bats. We lie around and sleep all day. At night time we come out to play, we spread our wings and fly away. We're absolutely bats. So there we go. And that was this fortnight's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Um, have you ever written a folk song about a bat? No. <laughs> and oh, well, now is the time. Well, it definitely is. You've you've laid the sort of the groundwork with the theme tune for this. Everyone listening wants to hear more. I quite like a comic book, so it would end up being about Batman. Okay. It just would. It just would go there. Sorry. That's all right. That's I mean, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure that Batman fall into the world of natural history. Maybe we should try and get Adam West, if he's still alive, to come on as a guest later down the line to talk about... It could work. He might be sick of bats. I mean, how, you know, it it must be an interesting origin story, that tale. What? Anyway. Speaking of interesting origin Origin stories, it's almost like we scripted this. (laughs) Um, Segway, segway. Segway, segway, segway. So you moved to the Peak District before the age of one. Yes. To a lovely place called... Edale. Edale. I didn't have much say in it, I must say. <laughs> um, but yes, I did. Or at least my parents did. And I was taken with them <laughs> from Oxfordshire, which it's is where they, they didn't were leave time. you behind. I'm really glad they didn't leave me behind. Um, uh, my parents ran youth hostels. So they ran the youth hostel in Chelbury in Oxfordshire. And then they'd come down from the lakes to be there. Uh, and then they went up to Edale. My dad ran Edale Youth Hostel until about five years ago, maybe six, seven years ago. And that's why we ended up in Edale. 
Edale, for those that don't know, it's right in the middle of the Peak District, right across the spine. Ooh, yes, middle top, say? top middle, I'd top, say. Top middle bottom. Because we're still in the dark Hot peak. Spot. So we're We've top. gone into Michael Barrymore. <laughs> For those of you listening Hi, yeah. in foreign countries, Michael Barrymore <laughs> is someone we probably shouldn't talk yeah. about now. Um, yeah, so right top, top middle of the Peak District, mm-hmm. in the shadow of Kinder Scout. The shadow of mountains. In the shadow of Kinder, which is a mountain, I believe, technically, by maybe a couple of foot. It's, okay. It's not, it's a big hill, stroke mountain. It's an ambitious hill. <laughs> it's the biggest mountain in England, not in the Lake District. There you go. Mm-hmm. Facts already. Uh-huh, so. This is worth the the monetization of this podcast alone, Fantastic. which is free. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I've been up Kinder Scout a couple of times. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's all. It's quite barren at the top, flat, and it's, huge it, sort of. It's rocky less barren now than it was because they've been putting a lot of funding into the Moors for the Future Partnership, which is based in an office in Edale, and is all about trying to re encourage plants to grow up there that were up there in great quantities before. So the sphagnum moss is the classic one. It's trying to re-encourage the abundance of sphagnum. How do they do that? Plant it and hope for the best. <laughs> go up, walk all the way to the top with yeah. some moss, put it down, I'm, walk back down again. I'm actually the patron of the bog. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like uh, an official title that a Morris dancer they, might get. They, they emailed me a few years ago and said, will you be the patron of the bog? And I said, are you, are you actually joking? And they said no. And now I am the patron of the bog. You're which... the patron of the bog. <laughs> yes, I am. Do you get a special bit of bog? Well, I mean, I'm egotistical enough to think that it's actually all, yours. all, it's all mine. Um, I'm imagining you there sort of sitting on a tree stump at the top of Kinderscout. There's no tree stumps on the top okay. of Kinderscout. Come on now. There's rocks. You can have a big bit okay, of you're it. You're sitting on a big rock, <laughs> being stump. eyed up by a grumpy sheep. Yeah, there's a few of them. <laughs> and, and declaring that you are patron of the bog. Lord of all I see. I really hope that your next album is called Patron of the Bog. <laughs> I tend to say I'm... I'm Bog patron. It's <laughs> not much better, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> again, again, your use of the English lexicon is <laughs> is awe inspiring. Yeah. Um, so, going back to your childhood, you grew up in Edel before that. You hit the heady heights of bog patronage. <laughs> um, I did go other places as well before I ended up back in Edel. <laughs> <laughs> was um was music always a part of your childhood? Yes, very much so. I think. Um, there's something about village life in and I, I presume all villages, but maybe it was just Edale, but there was a lot of community singing. There was a, the church choir that we all sang in. There was always some kind of amateur dramatics thing going on that involved mm-hmm. singing. And my dad is from Hull and I think kind of absorbed some of the kind of Watersons singing in folk sure. clubs when he was a kid culture. The Watersons, just, for those that don't know about folk music, are... Really, you ought to know better. Come on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Learn about folk Stop music, Stop listening, people. go and tune into some <laughs> other music. Yeah, type Watersons into your Spotify now. <laughs> um, there, yeah, so he loved, he loved folk singing. He loved uh, shanties, ballads, that kind of stuff. Did uh, he sing to you as a kid then? He did, and he used to do washing up shanties to get to do the washing up. So, you know, child labour enforced by folk song. Um, Do you now, like if you were to live in a house share, if someone started singing to you, would you sort of have some kind of a Schrodinger like uh, reflex? Not Schrodinger, uh, Pavlov. (laughs) Pavlov reflex. Um, My sisters and I were talking about the other day, I have a nephew who is a year and a half old. And we sing at him all the time. Like, every time he does anything, we sing a song about it. We're kind of obsessive singers. Um, and we, we just realised he's going to grow up in a totally weird, skewed world. That I mean, it's either going to hate singing and all music or just presume that everybody does that. It's going to be all horribly disappointing. Well, coming from a family of musicians myself, I just presume that everybody did oh, have music well, growing that, up. That, that's, yeah, hopefully it's going to be fine. Um, so when did you pick up the fiddle, if you're always singing? The fiddle is my granddad's fiddle. It's my mum's dad's fiddle. Uh, and my granddad played it in big bands during his army years, I believe. And I didn't really have a choice, so I can't <laughs> really remember. I didn't like it. I did not like the fiddle. You didn't like that particular didn't, fiddle no, or playing like, it in general? I, I didn't like being told what to do. Do you like being told what to do? <laughs> no. Fair enough. <laughs> um, oh, oh, and the therapy begins. <laughs> I... I threw it out the window once. And you only... still play this fiddle today? No, I, I do actually, yeah. it's the, the fiddle. I have two fiddles on the road with me today, and it's the one I pluck. I play it a bit like a mandolin. And does it have war wounds from it when you threw it It doesn't. Thankfully, I threw it into a 
bed of catmint, so it was fine. I so wish you'd said moss there, a boggy moss. <laughs> a bed, a bed of you'd, your patronage was there in the early <laughs> yeah. days. Yeah, there's no catmint on the on the moors, sadly. Um, no, it was fine. I think when I say I threw it out the window, I was far too terrified to be that rebellious. I think I probably leant out and dropped it about three inches and then ran outside and picked it up again <laughs> and came back in the house. That was my moment. Um, but I didn't like it. And I didn't like it because I didn't like the classical training methods that I was introduced to when I was a kid. I found them stifling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to do well at stuff and I didn't like... Not being instantly not being good. good at it. The violin being something oh, that everybody knows is... Is not fun to listen to somebody learn for the first no, and I, eighteen years. My, my poor mother had my two sisters learn on it first as well, so I was number three. So did they the give up? Learning. They did not give up. They well, they both can play a tune. Beth went on to the saxophone uh-huh. um, and was great at that. Emma plays fiddle. She's a great fiddler. Yeah, uh, she has another family fiddle. That wasn't. We all learnt on my granddad's, but she got another one afterwards, which I don't know where it came from. Inherited from somewhere. Yeah, but it was knocking around the house. Um, So yeah, we all we all definitely play a bit. But yeah, I hated it until I was a teenager, and I and I'd given it up by then. I'd had a a couple of classical teachers, one who I loved and I was really pleased to meet, uh, but sadly her health turned and I'd stopped playing with her, and I went to. A folk music summer camp. I basically joined the Cayley band at school and ended uh-huh. up on a, a folk music camp and met loads of people who loved playing music. And from that point on, it made sense because it was sociable and it was fun and we drank and it was great. Drank, obviously, non alcoholic cordials. No, don't be ridiculous. Okay. I think a, a lot of people who are in the arts get into it because of some kind because of youth of drink. because of drink <laughs> because of hard spirits um no because of youth clubs of some kind you yep. get to meet people with the same kind of things and it goes on um what's been fun in in my journey through the arts is mm-hmm. the people i met then have been the people i've sort of grown up with mm-hmm. um, Absolutely. did yeah. you find that people from those yeah. folk clubs ended up yeah, being alongside absolutely. you absolutely there were the people who i spent all of my holidays with because we formed bands because we couldn't afford to go to festivals so we weren't kind of a local group we'd gone from this kind of Cayley band to a summer school in Durham Mm -hmm. where there was a hundred young people playing folk music and made friends with all of them and then wanted to see as many of them as possible and couldn't afford to buy tickets for festivals so we formed bands to go to festivals to have parties which is how I became a musician yeah it's all driven by by the booze um (laughs) (laughs) And actually just the want to have a nice time and hang around with really nice yeah. people. The joy of folk music is that it attracts people who are not in it because they want to look cool. Mm-hmm. Because it really wasn't. I mean, it's gone through a cool phase now, thanks to Mumford and & Sons and that kind of yeah, band. Yeah, sort uh, of modern pop the revival. Modern, the folksy revival, as I would yeah. call it. But there wasn't a folksy when I was a kid. It was just folk and it was not cool. And so all the people I met as a teenager would... They didn't care, and it sure. was great. They were nice people. So, yeah, I spent all of my teenage years with them and went to festivals and became a performing musician. And here I am today. And here you are in today. In this very booth. So at what point? You went to university after... I did. You up, I want to say Edinburgh. York. Damn it. St. John's. St. John's. Mm. Studying... English, lit, English literature. Like all the best people. All the best people did study English <laughs> literature. Yeah. And then subsequently afterwards ended up not doing anything related to well, English yeah. literature. Who, whoever did? I don't know. No. I can't name a single person. No. They all went into the arts or became a teacher, both of which are valid professions. Very, very valid professions. Well done, the English literature graduates. Well done. There you go. There we go. Um, tonight's episode is brought to you by <laughs> English literature students. Um, so I presume... In these groups, you were writing music together, rather, or were you just playing? We were doing mainly traditional music. We were writing lots of arrangements, um, and then I started writing. I mean, Three Black Feathers was the first song I wrote in completion, which I wrote and first performed in a band called Ola, who I was in at university with one bandmate from a band I was in previously and somebody else in York. I was a trio. And then after university, that kind of disbanded and I ended up alone. I'm so alone, basically. <laughs> Nobody wanted to play with me anymore. They did. They did, fine. eventually. They that did. wasn't because of, of the lyrics of Three Black Feathers. It was, though. thankfully, no, because Three Black Feathers was the first song on my first solo record and I got nominated for an award for it. So there that was a, a great boost. That kind of did, set me off. Did people already know you on the folk scene, though? Yes. You must so, have been around all the time yeah. and... By the time I released my first record, I'd been playing at folk festivals for 10 years. There you go. So, yeah, 
it was really quite a useful start. One of my favourite, there's a folk festival called Folk by the Oak. Mm-hmm. And one of the nice things about that one is there's a sort of a stage for, or it certainly was when it set it up for up and coming sort of younger people to have a go. And it's called the Acorn Stage, very the fittingly. Stage. There we go. Um, and it's always lovely sort of seeing people just as they're sort of coming up and then you just sort of watch them over the years, sort of watch their career grow and grow. <laughs> I'd and love grow. it if there was like a series of stages getting closer to the main stage. Yeah, just... you're almost a real tree slash musician. <laughs> and if you have a bad year, you have to go back a stage. <laughs> <laughs> You've just been pollarded. You've had your sort of top layer taken off and you've got to go down a stage or two. Um, so Three Black Feathers won you an award. It was nominated. Nominated for an award. It did not win. I th- can't remember i think a martin simpson song won that year and he's quite good so that's fine but this is 2007 i want to say oh my goodness yes it is yes um, it is because i first discovered you discovered i picked you <laughs> off the street like a, <laughs> like a you rough under dome. a tree at Edale. um in 2008 oh which was at the royal albert hall which is 11 years ago oh god mm-hmm. um yeah 2008 royal albert hall it was the first and I think only folk prom there's Thus ever far, been. Yeah. Um, the proms, for those who don't know it, are a big festival of classical music. And these are the, these are the footnotes that I put in during it. Surely people know what the proms is. Well, I don't presume these things. <laughs> You're very good. You're You've very got good. a classical background and some people don't. And we're trying to get classics to them as well as the folks. You so, go, David Oaks. There you go. Um, yes, yeah, so it was a folk prom and it had you performing yeah, as a Horizon Award new person lady on the mm-hmm. scene you had martin simpson who i think was nominated for best album that year probably okay. won it for prodigal son i want to say i wonder i think that's maybe the song that won it as well yeah it could well have been martin they're taking all the awards <sighs> um, with his great skill yeah that guitar finger picking that just keeps and the oh, singing that's God. really good and the song it's really it's yeah. just rude i'm sorry bella <laughs> um and bellowhead who were the sort of yeah. big folk mega band supergroup? I'd forgotten they played of thirteen individual yeah. folk singers who came together and became greater than the sum of their parts. They really did. They were um, and sort successful. of a, there was that thing you mentioned Mumford and Sons earlier mm-hmm. and having that sort of pop folksy revival. Alongside that, you had this sort of mm-hmm. semi-mainstream, genuine folk traditional ballad thing that they were kind of spearheading. Yeah, in a very kind of upbeat dance way, but not obviously a doof doof dance way in a folk. A doof doof. A doof doof. A no. floor to the floor. Uh, <laughs> a folk, yeah, a folk dance happy movie go music they did that very well it was really good so i'm going to ask you the question that no folk singer ever really wants to be asked how would you define folk music <sighs> yeah do i have to answer that give it a go okay uh i think all music is folk music i'm mm-hmm. a pain in the ass i uh yeah because it is i mean it all came classical music all the rest of the music came from our history of music and from our folklore folklore being just our traditions and our traditions just being what came before that we don't really remember Mm -hmm. and that's what folk music is it's just the music of the people and the people are all people and it just is it all is folk music in my head i personally imagine and we can go with the tree tree metaphor given where we are love it it is like it is the trunk of the tree and everything that comes off it is you know Whatever it is. Um, you can go smaller than that and go, okay, let's pretend it's not all music. Mm-hmm. Folk music is then a branch of other musics and you've got coming off it. Anything from traditional music to singer-songwriters to bluegrassy. Lots of the stuff in America is amazing because that's all old time, which has come from traditions of everybody who moved over there with all of their music of Norwegian country, you know, Scandinavian countries mm-hmm. and countries of the uk and ireland and everybody going over it's, it's one of the things that's been quite fun about folk music over the last 15 20 years is mm-hmm. things like the transatlantic sessions mm-hmm. that have brought those musical strands that went across there yep. back again yeah and i find that interesting with americana music at the moment because mm-hmm. we have a big americana movement in the uk and it's kind of it's uh, 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 it, 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 which way is it going this time yeah. it's great i think i i really like all music I know it's boring, but I do. I love music, you know, anything that comes from a place that is genuinely trying to share an emotion through notes yeah. of any kind or tell a story. is just great music, and that's all there is to it. And, you, yeah. you mentioned standards and traditional mm-hmm. ballads and the like. Mm-hmm. So if there is something traditional in there, something mm-hmm. oldie-worldie, I'm sort of dragging us back to uh, child 
Childhood. Um, all of, well, child ballads and stuff. Oh, like child ballads. Yeah. Not childhood at all. The old James Child. James Child. Francis James. Who was a man who collated, collected mm. and recorded lots of different traditional folk songs from the people by travelling around the country in the same way that Percy Granger did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there sort of becomes these anthologies of traditional songs. Mm-hmm. And you were saying that you were growing up playing them with your bands. Yeah. Do you feel that these sort of more traditional things have a greater hold upon what folk should be? That's really tricky. Now, when I started out, I remember people saying, you know, how do you feel about being a standard bearer for the tradition? And Mm. I always kind of tried to shed that. You know, I don't think... I think it's almost a disservice to the music to suggest that it needs standard bearers. These songs are here because they're amazing, Mm -hmm. because they've stood the testament of time, because they're they are timeless. They're stories that talk across, you know, uh, generations and generations. And um, I think that you just have to perform whatever you want to perform and it's fine. And the songs will survive because they're good songs. And it's thinking far too much of ourselves to suggest that we are more important than them enough to matter (laughs) in the the grand scheme of things. Uh, I can't remember what your question was. (laughs) That probably answered it in a roundabout way. No, I mean, um, I've got so many questions I want to ask, really. I mean, there's... there's... How many hours do we have? How many hours have we got? I think we're running out of time. No, we're not. Um, (laughs) We'll just edit out the beginning bit. The bit with you drinking the tea, we'll get rid of that bit. That's the most important bit. It was. It's all about tea. (laughs) Yeah, there are certain kinds of songs, like night visiting songs Mm -hmm. and... Lots of animal transformation-y songs. Yeah. Um, are there any particular sort of genres of folk ballads that you... That I enjoy more yeah. than others. I, I love them all. I think that's one of the things... I mean, things like... Have, the night have an opinion. Have an opinion. Yeah, have an opinion. Stop to sing on the fence. Yeah, get off, okay. that, get off that folky fence. <laughs> I like the shanties. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. Is that from? You. But is that from, yeah, shanties? Is that from your from your father again? Like from... uh, potentially, I like the shanties because of their pace and they've got a, a movement to them by the very nature of what they are. They're working songs that were meant to be keeping people in time to do a job together. Sure. Um, and they do not have the most ingenious lyrics generally, so I don't like them anymore. I take it back. I hate the shanties. <laughs> I've always actually really liked sea songs, which is weird because Derbyshire is landlocked. Well, I I would suggest. I mean, there's a collection of Christmas songs that you released, which mm-hmm. I think all of the songs in that have a certain rhythmic drive to it. Like mm-hmm. it really does sort of push through. I mean, you can reimagine the shanty in a landlocked place. I imagine you could. I'm sure. I mean, and there were working, you know, land shanties. There were work songs of the land which would have worked in a similar way. I just don't know any of them, and I should get off my arse and learn some. A number of your songs look at people who work the land, I mm-hmm. guess. There's songs like the, um, uh, Dog and Gun and mm-hmm. uh, Herring Girl, for which you won an award for. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, did. Which is a brilliant award. I, the one thing I didn't realise was that the Folk Award awards were made according to the song. Yeah, so they've all got so your, characters on them. Yeah, your Herring Girl is Folk Herring Award girl. is is yeah. a Herring Girl. Yeah. Um, tell us about tell us about that song. <laughs> uh, the Herring Girl um, I wrote after missing a documentary on BBC Four um, that somebody told me about. Uh, <laughs> That's a really interesting story, <laughs> <laughs> and I literally just read up on it and sat down and wrote the Herring Girl. It was one of those examples of a song that just happened. And actually, Three Black Feathers is the other time that I've written a whole song in one blow. So I should probably try doing that more. Um, it yeah, it's about. It's just, it's again, it's a ballad song. It's a song written very much in the style of these traditional ballads you're talking about. And it tells the story of... And it tells the story of a... I don't know, I've not listened to it in ages. <laughs> no, I have. I sing it all the time. Um, it is the story of a girl who works as a herring girl, who were the women who would stand at the quays at the dockside, um, ready to gut and barrel the catch of the day when the fishermen came in um, to go straight off to market, because it was all just done there and then and straight off and gone. Um, and they worked in teams of three, two gutters and a packer as a rule and the packer was the tallest do lots of mm-hmm. getting everything into the barrels shipped away and the good gutters could gut up to 80 fish in one minute and i've always found that amazing because i just you just can't fathom it like more than one fish a second that's crazy mm-hmm. crazy talk um 
But they travelled all around the place. They had very interesting lives. They were generally, you know, young women starting out and they, you know, worked all through their lives sometimes. They travelled around the coastline uh, from, well, Stornoway is where my song begins. And there is a statue of a herring girl in Stornoway. Um, and they travelled wherever the season went. So they went up around the, the north coast of Scotland, around to the Northern Isles, to Orkney, Shetland, down. Had you spent much time in Stornoway when you wrote it? Or no. have you been up there since on a pilgrimage? No. You've never been there at all? I've been there once. <laughs> I've been there once years ago when I was playing on a cruise ship. Okay. Uh, a folk cruise ship. A folk cruise ship. A folk cruise ship that stopped in there. Uh, that's an actual thing that happened once. It's not a folk really a, cruise a ship. Folk cruise. There was a folk prom, <laughs> and then a, there was folk a folk cruise, cruise ship. And then they cancelled folk music after they can, that. They'd all, done everything. It's all done. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think one of the fun things, if you look at the more traditional folk songs often they're warnings they're mm-hmm. society well the warning songs that's kind of a whole thing of its own is the warning songs yeah, uh, give us an example of a warning song uh, anything that starts beware take care there's you know uh, beware like you brave heroes who handle a gun take care of wild ramblings that are setting the sun what's that Molly Vaughan mm-hmm. Fanny Blair's another one how does that start are all the warning songs about women who didn't pay attention to patriarchal authority I think they <laughs> Basically, life is, isn't it? No, they are. But I'd say the largest percentage of them probably are. Uh-huh. Um, there are warning songs for men to also be wary of young ladies. I mean, Fanny Blair's actually uh, a song about a man, Thomas Hegan, I think, in the version that I sing. Who and it's again a timeless story. It's he is accused of rape by a young girl who is underage, but he said he didn't, and it's a court case, and he's just about to be hung. Is the ballad so? He He's saying, take care of uh, uh, young women who are, you know, out to get you. And this is a song from 17-something, 16-something? I mean, well, the, the Stationers Company were collecting the broadside ballads from 1550 to 1600, I think. And they wow. collected thousands and thousands and thousands of them. So, yeah, these are old songs. Um, and they're you know, still stories in the paper right now. So, there's. Have you seen the, um, the recent film Cold War? No. Um, it's beautiful. It's set in Poland, but they're setting up a sort of music school... Uh, around the time of the second, where are we? I can't remember. It's sort of Second World War-y going through mm-hmm. the Cold War. Um, and they go around Poland recording and documenting different uh, Polish folk songs around the time. Oh, right. And it's nice to sort of, I mean, it's a fiction, but I'm sure there's mm-hmm. some fact behind it. It's nice to watch people actually going around and getting it recorded, getting it done authentically. Mm-hmm. So much of the records that we have about English folk music have all just been passed on through the vocal method. It's been sung to somebody and passed on and passed yeah. on and passed on. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, there's, we're, we're lucky to have the Voice of the People recordings, I mm-hmm. think, which are a lovely set of recordings released by Topic Record of, you know, people travelling around and recording the folk songs of a generation who are now gone. But we're talking, I think, 50s largely mm-hmm. and some in the 60s, maybe a little bit before. There's, there's stories in the CDs of, of those people and you can learn about who they learned from and who they learned from. So thankfully we do have some records actually of those chains. But, that, you know, it's the nature of the oral tradition, uh, as we call it, the oral tradition, um, <laughs> to, yeah, to be passed that way and that's just how it is. Do you think the loss of, for want of a better phrase, of rural working class, mm-hmm. do you think that has meant that folk music itself is starting to die off in a way? You know, what's tricky is that Folk music isn't really present in the rural working class that's there, uh-huh. um, rather than anything else. I think it um, has become a middle class pursuit. Pursuit, yeah. Um, and that's not, of course, there's except you know examples that are the exception to the rule, um, and lots of them. But in my knowledge of the rural working people that I mix with every day because I am from a farming village mm-hmm. um, we're you know upland farmers in where I come from I am not an upland farmer <laughs> I'm a folk singer but you know I'm no you're you're the patron of the bog I am the patron of the <laughs> bog absolutely um, but I couldn't name you a folk a, a musician that are, or a, yeah. you know, I couldn't name you an upland farmer that could sing you a folk song in my area when I was growing up there was there was the shepherds up at um in Yorkshire, in the south of Yorkshire, in the home first kind of area. Uh, and, in fact, up in Northumberland as well, there was sets of uh, shepherds who knew the shepherding songs. Up in Scotland, much more so. Up on the east coast, the Bothy Ballad singers. Lots of rural working people who mm-hmm. still remember the songs. Um, sadly, in England, in my area, certainly, I'm not aware of it. Sure. Um, 
and is that meaning the death of it's i don't know i don't know if that's a new thing or a, i think maybe this happened with the victorians i'm not sure where to blame because folk music went very musical for a long time uh-huh. and i don't know if it's ever really come back from that I think if ever in doubt blame the victorians <laughs> i for generally everything. do yeah I mean, I, I've been in, in bars in Scotland. So <laughs> we can say, I've been a Victorian. I've been a Victorian. <laughs> you have been Wait, a Did you know that I'm an actor? <laughs> um, I've, I've been in bars in Scotland and in Ireland and in, even in Wales, and mm-hmm. you've had sort of people, like, turn up with instruments. Yeah. I was, I, was in a, I was in a park the other day, weirdly, in London, mm-hmm. and there were three, three musicians sitting around a table. There was two playing guitar, one singing, mm-hmm. one with a mouth organ, and a guy with some a tambourine and a couple mm-hmm. of drums. Just sort of just sitting at a, a coffee table with some lyrics out on the table, and everyone was looking at them like they were strange. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "You're getting free live music to yeah, accompany just, your your cafe just today. Enjoy yourselves, people." But everyone's like, "Can't they do it inside? Can't they be like folk music for the people, but just those three people? But just not not these people. Yeah, folk music for those people. It's interesting, and you're absolutely right. Like uh, my experiences of Ireland are that it is just so much more common in Scotland. It's the same in Scotland. And, and I lived in Scotland for eight years, and it's just, you know, it's much more common to walk into a pub and there'd be a f- the people playing fiddle in the corner. Yeah. And nobody bats an eyelid. And it gets integrated into the media much more. You know, radio stations are not quite so segmented in their programming. Um, it's just, um, yeah, it, it's tricky because it, it I, I'm not doing anything to help it. <laughs> so I can't really <laughs> criticise it, if you know what I mean. I'm... Um, yeah, I don't know what we do, and I don't know if we do anything apart from just wait and see what happens. Well, I think I think it will unfold one way or another. I think mm-hmm. it's sad that most folk venues these days are pre-booked, pre-ordered, buy a ticket online, ticketed events, as opposed to okay. come along, sit down, have a whiskey and see what happens. The problem is that you can't, if you play the come along, have a whiskey, see what happens, you can't book artists to come because yeah. we can't go and play gigs without a guaranteed fee. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can't give you a guaranteed fee unless... Um, Unless they've pre-sold, pre-sold their whiskey and their along. fireplace yeah, seats. Yeah, so, I mean, you can absolutely do that uh, with local artists, with floor singers, which, you know, is a very important part of the folk culture of England and the whole of the UK is... And it's one of my favourite things, actually, is to get to turn up and do a, a show and have floor singers and to, mm-hmm. just, just to go to a folk club and listen to the floor singers first is where I'll pick up all my best song ideas. Is yeah. Oh, I like that one. I'll learn that, that one. one. I'll have that one, please. Um, but, yeah, so you can absolutely do that. But the culture of going to those things is slowly dying off. So speaking of of songs and mm-hmm. writing songs and being a folk musician, mm-hmm. um, to what extent does the natural world inspire you with your creations? I hate it. I just, <laughs> I just watch telly and close the blinds. Um, I uh, how much does it play a part? I don't. It's very tricky to uh, disassociate creativity from general life. I find, mm-hmm. and one of the joys of my career is that they do combine hugely it's also can be very troublesome because you have to be careful how much you associate yourself with your work i find sometimes Mm -hmm. but for me being in the natural world is just a very important part of who i am and the music creating is just who i am as well so it's very hard to kind of dissect and go how much is it part of the music but i suppose entirely because they're both from the same can you separate art from the artist (sighs) yeah so yeah. <laughs> the answer's probably no. Uh, well, the good one's probably not. <laughs> Are there any of your songs that you can particularly remember going, I saw that Robin and I wrote that song about that Ooh. Robin? Um, no. no. <laughs> um, Edale uh, is in all of my songs. Like, there's, it just crops up all, of, all the time. Well, one of it's your albums, pain. I presume, is basically named after it. In the Shadow of Mountains. Exactly. Yeah, it basically is. And I think in the opening track of that, Mary Mean, in fact, there is, I suppose, there's bulrushes that grow in one spot in Edale, literally just behind the train station. And I'm sure there's other spots as well, but that's they're not everywhere, that's for sure. And I saw bulrushes growing one time and wrote the lyrics to Mary Mean on the train station, which is... Yeah, so there we go. Saw some bulrushes, wrote a song. There you go. Uh, yeah. And I think I'm very much inspired to learn folk songs by the surrounding area. I can't help at the moment but be walking around singing uh, If All the Young Girls Were Like Hairs on the Mountain, which is an amazing traditional song. I love mm. it. I've never recorded it, but I just, you know, sometimes you're just out being somewhere and a song is in your head and you can't help it. And that happens a lot um, with the joy of getting to walk out your front door and be in a beautiful place. Are there 
folk songs that you know mm-hmm. that you haven't recorded mm-hmm. for whatever reason, but are there songs that you kind of don't want to put down? You want to keep them more ethereal and ephemeral? Um, no. No. <laughs> no, monetizing music. Lot, lots of no is, is <laughs> and let's put it up on a on a on iTunes and make as much money as we can. Yeah, basically. Fair enough. Um, I mean, it, but then I never do sing stuff for the. I'm, I'm a terrible business person. <laughs> I'm a terrible business person. I sing songs because I love to sing songs. I record songs because I have to try and make a kind of a living out of it. And actually, mm-hmm. that's not even for the iTunes thing. It's more just so you've got something to uh, take on tour, and... take on tour, and actually to sell a tour on. Because venues don't necessarily book you unless you've got product, and because product means that you're promoting. Sure. Um, so it's all tied in that pattern. But very much, I do that in order to be allowed to sing um, I'm never going oh what am I going to put on the next record what am I going to do next what am I going to do next I totally go okay I'm going to have to pay some rent um, which means I'm going to have to do some gigs which means I'm going to have to have a product which means I'm going to have to record something sure. what What am I doing right now what am I writing what am I feeling and I, I love to write and I love to sing and yeah if you just do that by yourself in your room all day it can get a little boring so it's nice to share speaking of which being in your room on your own and recording all day yeah. you recorded our theme tune yes i did thank you very much for doing that you're welcome thank you for asking um can you can you describe your pop guard that you used on <laughs> my the pop shield so uh for those at home not familiar with a pop shield it's kind of a a disc of black thin material stretched into a circle that we put in front of microphones so that we don't get loads of horrible noises and that obviously come from our mouth. there's loads of modern electronic equipment stores in the peak district in edale so yeah, you could just pop out we, a store we and have buy a slight one. lack of those and oh. uh, i think you were on quite a short schedule <laughs> when you said bella will you record a song and uh i had a weekend to do it in and i i decided i was spending the saturday writing it i spent the sunday recording it Wham, bam, strawberry jam, all done. So I'd done it on the Saturday, set up to record on Sunday, did a few vocal takes and realised it was covered in pops. pops. Uh, And so I went to my neighbours to try and find some wire. He was out, so I couldn't find any wire. I did rummage a bit. Sorry, Robin, I did rummage a bit. Um, And so I found a knitting needle, which I bent into a pop shield, stretched some tights over it. And there you go. And there you go. That's Do it yourself. Make. Podcast theme tune. That's how you make a pop shield. Where Where did you find the lyrics for our theme tune? I thought you were going to say, where did you find the knitting needle? Where did you needle? find the knitting needle and the tights, <laughs> especially the tights? Well, the tights were in my tight drawer. How did you come Very up with the lyrics for? <laughs> uh, the lyrics uh, The lyrics are off the Bodleian Library website. So I uh, spent most of the Saturday of that process digging around in books. I went through a, a, a load of... I tend to start with the books. I went through a load of traditional songbooks, poetry just looking at poems about trees. I mean, I'd given you quite a loose <laughs> You'd given me a really remit. loose I said, <laughs> tree. something tree probably. Um, and then I went to a few websites, but my favourite of them generally is the Bodleian Library uh, Traditional Ballads Index, which you can just Google and find. The Bodleian Library being in Oxford, but they have an amazing digital archive of broadsides. So the broadsides are these big... Um, sheets of music it's the same you know the origin of word as broadsheet for mm. our newspapers it's just uh, a big all, bit of paper a great big bit of paper that once we had printing presses we're printing out one big sheet of lyrics and at the top of that lyric sheet it would say to the tune of and it would have a tune that you might know or you might not in which case you just put it to your own tune so we have all of these lyrics out there that are traditional so our tune is your traditional your tune is, is not I wrote the tune so I found these words that I thought were great and I wrote you. And it's you singing, you on the fiddle, and you on a squeeze box. Harmonium, yeah. Harmonium. So harmonium is basically one half of an accordion. <laughs> um, it's a really good instrument for piano players who can only use one hand because you have to use the left hand to pump the bellows mm-hmm. to make the air come through and your right hand's doing your keyboard. So, um, yeah. It makes a lovely sort of wooden clackety-clack noise. It makes a, yeah, lots of wheezing for mine because I've flown it to America and back twice. <laughs> so it's a little bit bruised and battered. And uh, air comes out of all sorts of places it shouldn't do. <laughs> so Like people. Like humans, <laughs> yeah. Um, So, yeah. You go over to America a a fair bit now. I used to. I haven't actually been back for the last year or so. I've been trying to stay at home a little more. Uh Um, 
uh, but I spent some time in Tennessee, uh, which was amazing. I kind of did a little bit of touring over there, which was not amazing because it's a really big country. Uh-huh. And the musicians over there work so hard just to get from place to place. And I could not do it. <laughs> I actually realized quite quickly over there I would never have become a musician in America because none of them have health care. Sure. <laughs> and none of them, you know, if I, I, you hear stories, somebody breaks an arm and they're 30 grand in debt for the rest of their life and they're just trying to do gigs to pay that off. And yeah. you think, well, they need to get themselves a harmonium because you can operate that with one arm. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because you need to pump with one, I suppose. <laughs> just get a stick and a. No, it'll be fine. Um, they, yeah. So America was hard, but I had a lovely time when I wasn't touring, uh, being in Nashville, uh, writing songs and pretending I was a country singer in a TV show, which was fun. I wasn't a country singer in a TV show. I was just pretending. It was nice. Uh, and I would spend my money there for a week and then I would work on a ranch looking after horses for a week. Lovely. And I did that on and off for, well, the best part of a year, really. Well, it sounds like between living in the Peak District in the middle of... Uh, middle of Edale and working with horses and music in, in, in Nashville and Tennessee, then you've basically got it all all bases covered. I've had quite a nice time. That'll do. Yeah. That'll do. So what's next? What are you up to at the moment? I am probably going to make some more music because I can't really help myself. It's troublesome. <laughs> um, uh, it's good. It's useful. I'm going to do a best of this year, which makes me feel really old but really i've just released nine records and it's about time i kind of went hey guys do you remember these nine records i made let's go back and listen to those again so i'm uh, doing a, an album called uh postcards and pocketbooks best of bella hardy lovely so far doesn't actually say so far but i wish it did um so that's going to be out probably kind of second half of the year another okay. tour in november to go with that i'm going to be in london and up in the sage gates heading all over so having just spoken about creating music so you can sing music yeah are you just doing a best of so you can go back and sing your favorite songs again exactly yeah <laughs> which is so fun it's kind of brilliant i'm gonna do it you normally think that a best of is and... such a cynical thing and you like but it's not at all it's just a chance to go and sing really your favorites to, yeah and there's some that i've just not sung in ages and it's gonna be lovely I might record a new song or two just to throw on there, keep people happy. But mainly it's just a, an excuse to have a little fun time singing the back catalogue. Um, and um, yeah, I'm going to be doing some composing of uh, other stuff. I'm, uh, yeah, uh, I'm hoping to sit down and do some classical composition. I heard that you might have got a new sort of sponsor patron out of the book. I'm doing some, men- yeah, I'm being mentored. I'm being mentored by a classical musician. Who I shall not name at this stage. I'm not allowed to know. Well, I think, you know. Well, it's not Edward Elgar. I don't want to show dead. all of our cards at once. No, yes, it's not. It's a living classical It's a musician. living. I know, there are some, you know. Amazing. Um, uh, so that's going to be amazing. And do you... I, I do lots of teaching choral stuff. So I do lots of arranging big choral harmonies, three and four parts. So I'm kind of looking forward to doing that, but maybe for other people's choirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and just composing music for other people to play, because I love to write and compose but I don't like to tour for too long because sure. I like being at home well you've toured sort of non-stop for, for the best part of nine years ten years I guess yes yes I have uh, at least I had done up until kind of well a year and a half ago and I decided it was time to go home <laughs> with the classical stuff uh, just, just to go back slightly mm-hmm. do you feel like you're sort of going full circle um hmm Maybe back to the choir stuff is full circle. Uh, I basically spent most of my childhood singing John Rutter. So, <laughs> I, my my mother and sister will approve wholeheartedly uh, of that. John yeah. Rutter, I think, is a part of a lot of sort of, of every young choir choirs. singers' yeah. childhood. Yeah, absolutely. So certainly in the choral element of that, and one of the earliest photos of me is one that's in the church in Edale, which is my whole family singing in the choir, and I'm very little and the only one not in black and white I've got pink dress on I think I was allowed <laughs> too small um, so in that way in the kind of choral singing way maybe uh, maybe that's full circle um, but the classical composition side of things is a whole different ball game to me and well, that it's sounds quite very exciting. nice yeah well I've been given some funding by the Arts Council thanks Arts Council to sit at home and learn to use the software properly and learn some actual skills and techniques for classical composition so I'm really looking forward to actually just having time to be at home and do that Brilliant. Look at some hills and some trees. Well, I look forward to hearing hill and tree and bog-inspired okay. classical music coming out of Edale very soon. Thanks. Um, just to finish on, we have three questions that we ask everybody who comes on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, if you could go for a walk anywhere in the world right now, <laughs> where would it be? Ah, 
Um, well, my favourite place is always to go up Broadley Bank in Edale, but also I would be tempted to go down the pier at Santa Cruz and have a margarita. Right. Again, your journeys are inspired by alcohol. <laughs> yes. Unless you're referring to the pizza. Uh, no, I wasn't. No, no. fair enough. No. <laughs> um, should we colonise the moon? No. No? No. Don't think there's some secret folk ballad hidden no. with little green no, men? No, I think and... we should absolutely leave the moon be. She's quite fine all by herself. She doesn't need our interference. She's definitely a she. Of course. Diana, Luna... Come on now. Okay, yeah, I take it. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep, completely. Well, that, well, apart from Shakespeare, had the moon as a man with sticks on his back, didn't he? Yeah, in Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. He's there with a, a lanthorn. There we go. So this, maybe not. But this moon does represent. I think Shakespeare may have been wrong. I'm putting that out there. I would suggest that he's wrong more often than we might like to admit. Ooh, there's a whole different podcast. Well, you can listen to my podcast, <laughs> uh, Trees and. Auditorium. <laughs> no, I need to get a better no, script. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and thirdly, if you could bring any species back from extinction, what would it be? This is a terrible question. Why? Because I'm all, I, who doesn't want a woolly mammoth? Who doesn't want a woolly mammoth? So far, you're the only person on this podcast who wants a woolly mammoth. <gasps> of course I want a woolly mammoth. Oh. Yeah. I, you know, it's like having a re- big hairy horse. <laughs> <laughs> With tusks. With tusks. Really big one. There's a very good TED talk uh-huh. about the possibility of bringing woolly mammoth. Mammoths. What's Woolly mammoths. Let's go with that. Um, back to life. And because we found frozen in you were, Arctic. You were there? I, I was out there. I was out there with a pickaxe. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, they found like fully frozen biomass of mammoth that, from which we could potentially clone and wow. interbreed with Well, I think now I've, I've laid embryos. my stake out there for having one of the first woolly mammoths, please. That would be great. I think Edel could take it. My, I, When I asked which animal do you want to bring back from species, I wasn't saying which one would you like to bring back so you can have a pet. <laughs> oh, I see. Are we thinking about the better good? Oh, look, there, there goes the patron of the bog. <laughs> On her oh, mammoth. The woolly mammoth. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be a really good logo for the Moors for the Future Partnership. And um, there's probably a couple up there somewhere buried deep in the peat. Maybe, uh, you know, Who they knows? find all sorts down in that peat box. The, the pilt down mammoth or the. <laughs> the kinder mammoth. The, kin- just the kinder mammoth found. waiting for the next earth <laughs> yeah. movement to, to rediscover it. <laughs> Bella, thank you very, very much indeed for coming in and talking to me. Thank um, you for having me. Please come back again soon when you're a classical musician and we can talk more about Mamai. And maybe trees, actual nature. Oh, trees. What's your favourite tree? Oh, all of them. But I quite like a rowan. Yes. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, uh, people can follow you on the Twitters. They can, at Bella Hardy. And they can follow you on the Instagrams. Also at Bella Hardy. And they can follow you on the websites. BellaHardy.com. There's a theme here. Is this your name? Um, <laughs> and one question. Will people eventually be able to buy our theme tune as a standalone? Well, you've just said this to me today, and I think it would be a terrible shame not to. So I will talk to the people who do that stuff, and maybe by the time this is on there, it, it, that will be somewhere in the that digital world. That will be somewhere in the, in the ether. On the web. Supporting the patron of the bog and her many wonderful that escapades. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And that was the grin-inducing Bella Hardy. Thank you, Bella. Since we recorded that interview, she has indeed made our theme tune available in full. So head across to treesacrowd.fm to find links to that and my blog for this episode. As this is my podcast, I'm now going to use it shamelessly. If you like hearing my voice and you'd like to hear much more of it, from the 25th of June, I'll be appearing as Hamlet in Hamlet at Shakespeare's Rose Theatre in York. You'll find all the information you need through my website, davidoaks.co.uk. Back to Trees of Crowd. In a fortnight, we've a particularly exciting three-handed interview available for you. But until then, here's just a little bit more of our very favourite patron of the bog. I completely forgot to ask you about Bella's Den. Okay. Tell me about Bella's Den. Bella's Den is a book that was written uh, by Burley Doherty, who is my neighbour in the part of the village I grew up in. And she 
came to my primary school when she first moved in. I think I was nine, and she said she needed to write a story for a collection of stories that Michael Morpurgo was editing together uh, for a charity called Farms for City Children, and she needed inspiration. So I told her that I had dens, which I did because I spent much of my childhood outside and the great joy of living in the middle of nowhere when you can just be outside. Um, and specifically when I was uh, that age, I had some neighbours, the Robertsons, who had uh, seven kids, one a year older and one a year younger than me. So mm. we spent most of our time outside building dens, having a great old time. And so I took her to one of my dens and showed it to her. And she wrote a book called Bella's Den based on the stories I had of, of what, that place. How did this den take its shape? The den was built inside the roots of a very large tree. And how often had you remember. been there? Like, had you there, there been I... like thirty years since you'd last been in your den, or do you, as a as a human adult female, do you still frequent your den? I have been down there in recent years. I, I not this year yet. But we're only in February. <laughs> <laughs> I think I went down there last summer to see what was going on. But it got taken over by foxes at first, and then badgers down there. So there's there's a badger set down right by the den now. So den, I tend not to go and hang out with the badgers too much. But it's an amazing space. It's right down by a bit of a meander of the river, and yeah, it's completely the just inside the roots of this tree the river's washed it out a few times and it's thoroughly enclosed and we just built across the front of it and we used to sleep down there all the time I fear that knowing that there were badgers down there I might just go just more still often go. we'll go yeah, yeah honestly we used to go to when I was a kid dens. after we'd first built it the foxes moved in down there and we used to go and sleep when the foxes were down there I'm a bit scared of the badgers well, don't be scared of the badgers. But they chase children and eat their sandwiches they are the largest om- wild omnivore in the Great British Isles, I believe. Okay. There's a. That's another fact for the day. Potential fact. I should have said that with more certainty. Just, yeah. Do you want to say it again? You can edit it in. Did you know the badgers are the largest. uh, No, don't believe me for a second. Um, I'll I'll get a badger specialist in next week and they'll tell you all the truth about badgers. Bella's Den was great because uh, it got put into this uh, anthology called Muck and Magic. And uh, the authors who composed the stories all went to a big launch, and I got to meet them all, uh, including I've I've actually got the. Do you want to see the book? I'd love to see the, the book. book. I've got the sound effects because it's real. Look there, wow, real there's stuff a real book there. There's a real book. So this is one of my prized possessions. Is the copy from the launch? I reckon I was eleven when this came out. The first person I bumped into, well, I didn't. My mum recognised him at the bar on the way in was Ted Hughes. So oh, I went wow. and chatted to Ted Hughes, and he has he written my book. in your book. Yeah, there we are for Bella, Ted Hughes. So both you and, and Ted Hughes page. are in a book. Oh, this is everybody's signature. Yeah, so some quite cool people in is that there. Joanna Lumley. It's Joanna Lumley. Wow, I'm more impressed that I can read her handwriting more than <laughs> Quentin Blake, Michael Morpurgo. This is wonderful. Isn't it amazing? That's absolutely beautiful, and okay. and you're in it. You're a character in this. I am, and Bella's den is in there. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. And you can buy the book separately now. You can buy... So, yeah, Bella's Den... Not the Magic. It's interesting because the primary schools, lots of primary schools had Bella's Den in for a while. So a few people just seem to know me through primary school education. But um, it's on a second pressing now. It Great. came out... Uh, I think Yellow Bananas published it first and now Barrington Stoke have published it. Um, and, yeah, you can buy Bella's Den and read all about me as a child. There you are. <laughs> in, your, in your blue pullover um, on the final page. There's, um, It's really... It's funny because it is a, a fictional-ish story. There's bits of truth in it yeah. and quite a lot of fiction in it. Well, but it sounds uh, much like folk music, doesn't, doesn't it? it? It's got my dog in it who was called Polly um, and it's got a great line in it where I'm playing with a girl and she says Bella used to have this moment where she'd take a look in her eyes that, uh, and then she'd just vanish but the look in her eyes basically just said I don't have to play with you, you know and that's pretty much <laughs> that, me that as a kid. Like you. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. wonderful. Thank you very much, Bella.